Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. How would you rate Connecticut's highways, rail, and bus lines? Hundreds of bridges throughout the state are structurally deficient, according to the federal government. They're in danger of closing unless the state comes up with money to fix them. This is easier said than done, considering Connecticut has a consistent deficit problem and an almost broke transportation fund. But the governor has some suggestions for new revenue. Will the legislature approve them? Today, we'll talk with Connecticut's Department of Transportation Commissioner James Redeker about these proposals, including everyone's favorite topic, tolls. Also, do you ride Metro North or CT Transit buses? Are you prepared for possible rate hikes or reduced service if the General Assembly doesn't find a way to pay for much-needed transportation projects? You can join the conversation too, 860-275-7266. Email where we live at WMPR.org. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. I want to welcome again James Redeker to our studio. He's Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Transportation. Commissioner, welcome to the show. Oh, good morning. It's great to be here. So this week, Mother Nature reminded us it's still winter, a big snowstorm. Uh, how did the state do in terms of uh, clearing up the, the roads, given a lot of the trees that have fallen? Sure. It was a, an amazing storm. Um, I think uh, most people sat all day long wondering, where is this storm going to, you know, where's it going to go? Is it actually going to show up in Connecticut? By morning, we knew um, uh, upwards of 28 inches in parts of the state and as little as three in another part. Uh, but yeah, tremendous damage from trees down. Uh, but I must say that uh, the department's team um, of people who, uh, you know, clear the roads, plow them, worry about safety day in and day out, once again performed um, and performed at an outstanding uh, level, I think. We woke up in the morning with I-84 was absolutely dry. It was an amazing um, uh, activity. Uh, we're still clearing uh, roads. There are a lot of uh, roads with trees down and wires. And I know that for the folks that don't have power and are still waiting to to get through those uh, it's a big struggle. But um, uh, I'm really proud of the team we have. Um, when these storms happen, uh, people leave home. Um, they don't go back until they're finished. Uh, and that could be days at some point. So uh, they work really hard. Um, they're out there to protect the public safety, open up the streets for commerce, uh, make sure we're, we're doing that. And so uh, we had a remarkable um, recovery, I think. Um, again, people went to bed and woke up in the morning. The roads were clear. Now, remind us again, the fleet that takes care of the highways, you also contract out too. We do, yeah. So we, we own um, about 634 trucks. Um, some of them are getting pretty old. Um, that's in one of those budget issues you talked about. Um, uh, so we, we work on preparing them for the winter, making sure they're in good shape. But uh, in a large storm like this one, uh, we hire uh, this time about 200 private contractors to augment our team. And they uh, literally become part of the DOT. Um, those trucks line up with the others um, in the fleet. Um, they plow together, they work together, um, and, and we have a good relationship there. So each uh, winter, money is budgeted for this type of, of highway maintenance. This winter has seemed kind of mild compared to uh, last uh, winter and the previous year. Are you, uh, I guess, ahead of the game in terms of the little pot of money that's still left uh, over? So I, I would say <laughs> that we're tracking okay. okay. Um, so we're, you know, the, uh, we typically budget for 12 storms um, every year. 
um, and those are average numbers uh, this year. Uh, we've had just about that. We're, we're, we're tracking um, many, many incidents. So it's not just the storm. Sometimes we'll do just pretreatment. Sometimes we'll have activities getting ready, um, and all that adds up. Um, so, but for now, we're, the budget is holding, and we're going to hope for the best. And uh, yet there's another storm um, maybe coming next week. So we're, just, we're hoping this holds us through the year. Speaking of money, uh, a story, uh, a headline that's getting a lot of attention is Connecticut Special Transportation Fund. And uh, before we find out exactly how much is left in it and whether or not it will be insolvent in the next few years if some new revenue isn't added, tell us about this fund. When was it created and how is it funded? Yeah, so, uh, you know, the fund actually was put in place um, because of a crisis. The Mayanis River Bridge collapsed, and everyone can remember that, at least if you're from Connecticut. Um, and it was intended to, uh, to put together money dedicated for transportation, and, and much of it at that point was dedicated to fixed bridges, um, which, you know, is, was a terrific thing. So for over 30 years, that fund has um, sustained Connecticut's transportation system. It's used to pay DOT operating expenses. It's used to pay debt service, and it's used to um, start new projects. So we are, however, at a place where the revenues just aren't enough to sustain the program that we need in Connecticut, and, and that is the crisis of the day. The revenue you're talking about um, would be the gas taxes? Yeah, so it comes from several sources. Uh, it's a, there's a gross receipts tax on the wholesale side of the fuel. There's a gas tax paid at the pump. Um, and then there's a, right now there are sales tax revenues were dedicated in 2015, and um, uh, there's motor vehicle fees, licenses, and things like that. So it's a mixture of funds. I think the challenge that we face is that the fund um, really saw a huge hit in terms of revenue coming in because of the decline in gas prices. So several years ago, we all remember gas was $4 a gallon. And now when it's hovering just a little over 2 the gross receipts set tax, which is a percentage, um, has dropped precipitously. And so in the last three years, we've seen a massive decline in that particular income stream. Um, in addition, we saw um, sales tax was uh, proposed to come in. Um, it was gradually up to half a percent. Um, that number was supposed to come in a lot higher this year. So sales tax revenues are not what they should be. And finally, there's interest income um, if there's cash in the account and there's not cash in the account. So that interest income has declined. Taken all together, um, it, that it, there was an acceleration of this drop of income, um, which took us to this crisis where there's not enough money in the account today to cover debt service. And let me just pause there because it's the debt service of projects uh, constructed uh, 20 years ago, bonds that were sold uh, over the last two decades that is now rising um, at, at a very accelerated rate because as the capital program grew over 20 years from about $150 million to $900 million of bonding, um, now we're paying that. So these were from decisions over a long period of time that we're now paying the piper, so to speak. Um, so that was the first call on money. The second is the operating budget. And that's what pays for plows. That's what pays for the engineers to design highways. That's what pays for the planning department, the finance department. Um, and at this point, there's not enough money to pay the operating expenses, cover debt service, um, and continue at the rate of spending that the state of Connecticut needs. You mentioned that our bridges are in, have been for years now rated as some of the poorest in the country in terms of um, conditions that they're in. Um, and, and that's a serious concern. 
go back to the first, to your question. When did we get this fund in place? It was the collapse of the Mayanas Bridge. And at that point, we spent money to rehabilitate all the bridges in Connecticut. They're all coming due for that next round of rehabilitation. They're old, and there are a lot of them. Uh, and so as we see those coming, that really is a concern. We need to spend more money or those bridges are going to be, we're going to start seeing bridges that are going to be weight restricted. Um, we will not have a bridge um, that fails because we'll post it. We'll close it if we have to. Um, so far, that's not the case. We're not closing bridges. But we certainly have bridges now in, cons in, in a condition that we're going to have to post weight restrictions on them, um, all because we're not spending fast enough to catch up. You're hearing James Redeker, Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Transportation on Where We Live. If you have a question, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Now, what about uh, the role of the legislature? Because as I understand, a lot of money has been uh, taken uh, to help balance budgets in over the last 10 years. How much money are we talking about that should have been siphoned into this fund? Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great question because there's a lot of different answers to that, and it depends on on, on which side you want to be on. Uh, and I think you have to look at it this way. Until this year, and it really is until this year, there's been enough money in the fund, even if money was transferred out, to pay for the department expenses, to pay for debt service, and to pay for the new projects. This, is the year, this year it didn't happen. Now everybody's looking for someone to blame. Um, indeed, there are times when money was taken out of the fund. Or, to pay for non-transportation Oh, projects? yeah, yeah. So... I'll go to a particular case because it's maybe it's a demonstration of why that's a problem. It was two years ago at the close of the legislative session. The budget was a, a dilemma. It's been. Um, and the legislature decided to move $37.5 million from the transportation fund to the general fund to balance it. When that happens, there's very little the department can do to control expenses. We can cut personnel. We can cut maybe some material like storage of salt that we need for the year, but that's going to come back, right? We're going to need it. Um, uh, or we can raise fares and cut service. And we had to raise fares two years ago because that $37.5 million um, required significant budget cuts. We did personnel cuts. We did some expense reductions. Um, and then we, we raised fares. Well, we're back again because the, we don't have enough money in the account. But when it comes to the role of the legislature, so I would say, go back a minute, that $37.5 million was a direct raid on the fund. But over time, there's been monies transferred into transportation from the general fund. Um, I would say at this point, given the state budget resource constraints, that's unlikely to happen. Um, and so keeping whatever money is in the fund is, is even more important at this point, which leads to the legislature adopting um, a, a lockbox referendum, which will be on the ballot in November, and a, an important ballot measure. Now, remind be our listeners what that lockbox Yeah, the lockbox says any money that is dedicated to the transportation fund stays in the transportation fund, and you cannot take it out for another purpose, which means then that we can at least have whatever money's in there guaranteed, predictable, and will be spent on transportation. It allows the department to plan ahead to know what we're going to be able to do to guarantee that and not have something fall out of the package, right, out of the bottom, um, which will cause something to happen, something negative. Either affairs will go up, service will be cut, or projects will be reduced. So I would uh, remind listeners now that come November, that's probably one of the most important things 
from a policy point of view, not from an election point of view, but from a policy point of view, um, that would sustain transportation funding, or at least the streams that are dedicated to transportation, uh, and I would urge them to vote for that. Now, before we uh, take a listener call, uh, we I wanted to hear a little bit. Again, um, we're hearing that more than about 400 projects have been had to be delayed or canceled because you're hoping to have the legislature figure out a way to start putting more funds into the special transportation fund before it gets uh, becomes insolvent. Uh, the governor has uh, several proposals uh, on the table. Um, can you just walk us through a, a few mm-hmm. of those before? We so to- let's go back to the problem for a minute and what we did. Um, the legislature adopted a budget late. It was in October. Um, and as soon as that budget was adopted and, and we looked at the what the numbers said, there was inadequate funding to pay for the DOT operation. The fund actually over for 2019, 20, 21, and 22 had deficits every single year in the transportation fund and a cumulative deficit of $388 million. So the crisis that that caused was um, we couldn't sell bonds. And that that occurs usually in July or August. Now it was October. We had a budget. You couldn't go to the bond market with deficits and say, hey, buy bonds for transportation. Um, so the crisis was we have this year about a billion dollars of bills to pay to contractors doing work for the department. It's not going to stop. We have to do it. It's an obligation. And so... Um, the, the immediate crisis was to go change the fund to make it positive, to balance that fund, and the legislature was not in session. They had just left. So if you have a budget, you have revenues and you have expenses, the revenue side was the legislature. That was not to happen yet. So the DOT was called in to change the expense side. Well, first, I really can't change that debt service from 20 years ago, so that's a huge number. The only thing that I can change, oh, go on, I can't change pension costs. I can't change benefits for personnel. And and so when it's done, there's very little I can do um, to balance the account. So the first thing we did was to propose uh, significant cuts to the department headcount. This is not something that we we support. Uh, We are at risk in many areas of understaffing and delivering service. Um, In fact, the we're down about 15% across the board, and that includes snowplow drivers. So you can imagine that if we had a long, prolonged storm, we would not be able to keep up with the pace of the storm no matter how um, uh, we deployed private contractors. There's just not enough of them. So I'm concerned about that. Um, but So we, those cuts are part of the budget proposal. We proposed uh, fare increases and service cuts, not because we want to. Um, we have a long history of advocating for supporting public transportation, getting people off the roads, trying to avoid congestion, trying to improve air quality and provide mobility options. We don't like cutting service or raising fares. It's totally counterproductive for our economy, but it's about the only thing I control. Last um, was was the cash in the capital project fund. Um, the debt service that the budget adopted by the legislature proposed Um, was $600 million in two years. Our forecast, our needs, called for $1.2 billion. So the legislature effectively is driving down the the indebted, the the debt service, that's money for projects, by half of what our forecasted needs are. That meant canceling projects and doing it quickly. $4.3 billion of projects over five years. 
in the end, what happened? We were able to show that the, by doing all of that, we could balance the budget from the expense side, and we were able to sell bonds to pay bills this year. We'll be back next year with a deficit in the budget, and we'll be doing something even more draconian if the legislature doesn't find additional revenue. And we're going to get more into detail about these suggested rate hikes and service cuts. But again, we're talking with James Redeker, Commissioner of the Connecticut Department of Transportation. After the break, we'll talk about more about um, those proposals, including some of Governor Malloy's proposals for new revenue. You can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. I want to fit in a call before the break. Scott's calling from Wallingford. Scott, go ahead with your question. Oh, hi. Thanks for taking my call, Lucy, and uh, thanks for being on board, James. Um, I just have a comment and then a question. <clears throat> I think um, you guys do a really good job on, on our roads, and and um, especially in regard to we're talking about snow removal, I think that um, an excellent job gets done out there, with uh, especially with the significant storms we have and preparation, et cetera. And I'm also yeah. uh, be glad to drive through Waterbury in the near future on 84 and not have to crawl through it. Um, my question is, I saw a study recently, and I wish I had it in front of me where I could cite some exact figures, but it, it said that Connecticut has some of the highest in the nation per mile administrative and engineering costs, way, way above the averages. And I would like you to talk to that uh, point for a minute or two, please. Sure. So so first, let me say thank you for for the comment about the highways and also for your prediction of uh, Waterbury. Um, being complete, and won't that be a terrific outcome? Uh, long awaited, long overdue, but uh, the project is well ahead of schedule, uh, and we're looking forward to opening up uh, all three lanes and uh, effectively removing that bottleneck uh, later this year. Um, with regard to the uh, report that you referred to, um, it says Connecticut has the worst administrative cost per mile um, of road um, of any state in the, in the nation. Well, um, I, let me just, I could, I, obviously I don't agree with that, um, and there's lots of ways to look at it, but let me try it this way. DOT has about 3,000 employees, and that includes snowplow drivers and everybody else, not just people who are administration people. And if you take the salary for all 3,000 people and just take that out of the equation, that report would still say, that we're in the bottom third of administrative cost per mile. Well, how could that be if I take all the people away? So obviously there's factors in the report that, you know, I guess they found them somewhere, but it doesn't make sense to me if you could eliminate every person at the DOT and still have the highest administrative cost per mile. The second way to look at it is um, a mile is a mile is a mile in that report. So it's, we actually know that there's a, you know, you can have a dirt road that is seasonally used that's one mile. It's not paved. It's single lane. Um, and that mile counts the same as a mile of highway on I-95 over the Quinnipiac River Bridge or the Pearl Harbor Memorial Bridge. So there's a scale issue that isn't represented um, within in the report. So even if we just took the total miles, and you mentioned snowplow, so we plow 10,800 miles. In this report, they're only using 4,000 uh, miles of roadway because they only count a single direction. They don't count the lanes and they only count a direction. So if I divided by 10,800 instead of 4,000, I would be maybe 25th instead of 50th. 
If I adjust appropriately for headcount, I can probably be 10 instead of 50. Um, so I choose to not use the report for comparative reasons. Um, instead, what I would, um, I'd stand up the DOT um, against any other DOT in terms of efficiency in this way. We have taken the last five years to review every single process within the DOT using what the private sector calls lean. Um, so this is process improvement. It comes through out of Japan where we take the way we do grants, the way we do contracts, the way we get permits. We do this with our partners in terms of uh, the Department of uh, uh, Environmental Protection, Energy and Environmental Protection, their permits and our permits. So we've really taken um, every single thing we could find to make us as efficient as possible. And so what I'd say to you is this. When I became commissioner seven years ago, we had a capital program of $400 million. Um, that capital program is now well over $2 billion. Um, and we're doing it with 15% fewer people. I think it's pretty efficient. And I'm happy um, to declare that uh, I, I support Connecticut Department of Transportation, all the employees, um, and, and certainly I don't believe that we are an inefficient organization. In fact, quite the opposite. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In studio with me today, James Redeker, Commissioner of Connecticut's Department of Transportation. After the break, we're going to talk about that T-word, tolls. According to the governor's office, electric, electronic tolling could bring hundreds of millions of dollars in new revenue for much-needed transportation projects. And most states in the Northeast have them. Do you want the legislature to approve a new tolling system for Connecticut? Join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. And coming up, we'll also talk about rail and bus lines, too. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Connecticut has a consistent budget problem, and the issue isn't going anyway, away anytime soon. Meanwhile, Governor Malloy has suspended hundreds of highway and bridge projects because the special transportation fund is nearly broke. So let's talk about tolls. It's just one of several proposals the governor has included in his budget proposal to create new revenue for much-needed transportation projects. In studio with me is Commissioner Redeker from the State Department of Transportation, and we'll take some listener calls uh, in a little bit, 860 Two seven five seven two six six. So, Commissioner Redeker, let's talk about um, the several proposals the governor has on the table, um, including electronic tolling on highways. Mm -hmm. Sure. I think the proposals have two dimensions. One is the immediate problem, this crisis at hand, which is how to avoid service cuts, fare increases, uh, uh, bu other budgetary immediate impacts, particularly to, to, to towns, actually. Um, and, and so that includes things like um, including a car tax, accelerating um, the, the a dedication, really, of an existing new car sales tax that today goes to the general fund but would go into transportation. Um, and it would uh, uh, increase the gas tax, uh, two cents uh, this year, and then uh, moving forward a total of seven cents. All that um, basically to carry the transportation fund uh, avoid an immediate crisis, avert the fare increases, and service cuts. Clearly, I support that, and I'm sure all of the writers, the hundreds and thousands of emails that, uh, that we've gotten, the people that we talk to at hearings would love to see that reversed. So we support that. Um, and then finally, um, tolls, which is um, a project that would take probably, we've said, about four to five years to be able to implement tolls if the legislature endorses that and would authorize tolling. Because if you recall, 
um, tolls were taken off of Connecticut's roads. Um, and that came with um, actually the, the commitment that we would not toll. So uh, if this is going to be a new revenue stream and the governor has proposed it, um, the legislature would have to authorize um, the creation of a toll system. Now, when we talk about these several proposals that would need approval by the legislature, if uh, residents approve that referendum for the transportation lockbox, mm -hmm. any new revenue uh, uh, streams that are created will go into this lockbox for transportation projects solely. Correct. Um, which is, I think, um, uh, the governor has proposed this lockbox for several years um, and really wanted to be sure that that uh, funds dedicated for transportation would go there. The commitment to infrastructure would then be guaranteed. So um, that is the case. So we hope that that gets passed and whatever revenues and the legislature could consider alternatives to the governor's proposal. Um, in fact, uh, I, I'm okay with any proposal <laughs> as long as it's sufficient um, to actually fund the transportation operations um, and sufficient uh, capital uh, dollars to keep our system in good shape. You've been studying tolls for uh, several years mm -hmm, since mm -hmm. you've become uh, the commissioner of the State Department of Transportation. Why is why are tolls seen um, as something by you know, some legislators, also residents, as not something that should be done in Connecticut, considering so many other states have them? We know that the, st the state of Connecticut is broke. It's mm -hmm. not like the money is going to be coming <laughs> from the federal government under right. President Trump's uh, mm -hmm. initiative for transportation projects. I mean, where, what is the pushback that you're hearing? Well, actually, it's interesting. So um, I think any any new revenues comes with a T word, and it's either tolls or tax or something. And of course, that could be negative. What's interesting is that uh, we've done surveys of of writers, of travelers in Connecticut, of the general public, and to be honest, there's a pretty strong um, view that if in fact those revenues were dedicated for transportation, there's support um, for tolls. So. I, mean, I think that th there is a recognition that we need money, and there's this other recognition that Connecticut residents are paying the full freight of everybody riding through Connecticut, and tolls are a way to collect revenue from out-of-state people. And I think that that's a fairness question. And, and when you come down to it, um, that's how I would view tolls. So again, I have to be authorized to do tolls, but my opinion is that um, it's really fairness and equity. Why should people who are traveling through Connecticut, and that represents about 30% of all the cars and 55% of all the trucks, they don't pay a dime mm -hmm. to help fix Connecticut's infrastructure. So um, that's an opportunity, if you will. And I think that um, sharing the burden, right, from out-of-state and in-state um, would frankly turn Connecticut around from where Connecticut residents, Connecticut people buying gas in Connecticut, right, are paying the full freight. Um, given the needs, um, tolls could represent a substantial source of income for the transportation fund. Sustainable, um, changeable, um, and fair, I think, because again, um, we can you can uh, collect revenues in a way that makes makes it really fair for everyone who uses this system to pay their share of how what it takes to. Uh, maintain it and to repair it. Substantial revenue to the tune of six hundred to eight hundred million dollars a year. Mm -hmm. How much would the state have to pay up front to put these mm -hmm. uh, electronic mm -hmm. tolling system in place? Okay, so um, uh, we'll talk about the six hundred to eight hundred number. Uh, the way we were coming up with estimates really was to take a look at neighboring states and what their toll rates were, and to take a look at if we were to charge an average rate per mile comparable to what other states are doing. 
And that means, so Massachusetts, for example, is about 4.9 cents a mile. And if we did that in Connecticut and we told all of our limited access highways, that's the interstates plus Route 9, right? Route, route 8. Route 2. Route 2, correct. And if we did that um, at that rate per mile, then we, would co- we could collect between 600 and 800 million. Um, it's probable, and, and again, we haven't done the final numbers on this because it really does, you have to decide where you want to put the gantries, right? How many of them, where the connections, all the communication system and fiber optic cables, because it's a big system to build. But it's probably on the order of about $300 million of capital costs to construct that and to create the service center where all this is going to be processed. It's trickier, too, from what I understand. Connecticut has a lot more entrances and exits than yeah. Massachusetts. Yeah, people say, well, you know, we did a report on uh, what it would take to put tolls on I-95 using congestion pricing um, and what it would do for eliminating congestion and how much revenue it would generate. And in that report, there were a gantry spaced uh, probably about every six miles. In Connecticut, um, just think about it, from New Haven to the New York border, there's 47 miles, there's 47 exits. People say, why don't you do what Massachusetts has? You know, they only have 13 gantries. Well, they only have 15 exits, right? So uh, we have 47 simply between New Haven and New York. So if you were to put uh, total gantries in to collect the, at the, you know, the license plates or to collect an easy pass passing through, Again, I'm going to go back to fairness and equity. You'd want people to actually pay it going through, not necessarily be able to avoid it, because frankly, everybody should pay their fair part of it. Also, you don't want to have people diverting to a non-told highway near it to create traffic congestion and backups on local streets, right? So this is about an engineering solution. It's not really about how many. It doesn't really matter. It's about what the rate is. And to say a little bit more about that, All we did was create an average Mm -hmm. from our neighboring state, Massachusetts. In the end, the legislature is likely to be the one that sets the rate, right? So my job would be, if authorized, we would design a system, we can implement the system, and I think someone else will probably set the rate, but it ought to be set, again, I think, to keep Connecticut competitive, to raise revenues for transportation, dedicate them, and in fact, tolls have to be spent on the roads that you toll. So it's its own lockbox, if you will. So it actually provides that protection uh, as a revenue stream that must be spent that way. James Redeker is in studio with us here on Where We Live, Commissioner of the State Department of Transportation. You can ask a question of him, too, 860-275-7266. Tony's calling from Hartford. Tony, go ahead. Yeah, this uh, I'm calling from on behalf of Transport Hartford Academy at the Center for Latino Progress. And uh, my, my comment was I, I've seen really impressive uh, investments in transit with the CT Fast Track and the Hartford line, the commuter rail coming in from New Haven to Springfield. And I, we're generally in support of the increase in taxes and tolls to uh, maintain our sustainable and future transportation system. But my question has to do with uh, our highways and, and with those investments in infill and transit-oriented development, is it working cross-purposes for the, the state to be investing in additional highway lanes uh, and expanding highways? Good question. Um, so first of all, thank you for recognizing that uh, we have had a, um, a very impressive investment in public transportation. Um, Fast Track uh, is coming up on its anniversary for three years and has exceeded its 20-year goals for ridership. It's just a, a phenomenal 
impact to the region and the economy, to people from a mobility, from a jobs point of view, and from a transit-oriented development point of view. And we're looking forward to the Hartford Line this spring. Um, again, um, a, a, a very impressive investment um, in opening up a corridor that doesn't have effective rail service for uh, for Connecticut and, frankly, for Massachusetts. So um, those are important investments. Um, that line as well has seen transit-oriented development even ahead of the opening of service. So look forward to that. In terms of should we still look at um, widening highways or, or eliminating congestion that way? And I think we do have to look at that. Uh, if you take a look at the billions of dollars lost in time sitting in traffic and companies that don't want to have locations in Connecticut because it takes too long to get their goods to or from Connecticut or to get employees to or from work, I think we need a comprehensive strategy which is really multimodal. So it needs mass transit, it needs bus, it needs rail. It needs, frankly, um, bicycle and pedestrian systems for safety and for, for that side uh, you know, of, of our economy and, uh, and uh, frankly, our quality of life. But it also needs investments in highways. Um, just the, the, the value of time lost is enough to justify the investments. If, and we've looked at widening different roads around the system. That includes um, partial 95 widening in east and west, I-84. And when we take a look at that, every single project returns three to five times the cost of doing the project in economic returns. That's a, that's an, a, a very impressive statistic and one that I think uh, commands um, additional resources to be able to fix Connecticut. Connecticut Connecticut's economy is struggling. And uh, the Commission on Fiscal Stability made it very clear. Transportation must be fixed if our economy in Connecticut is going to work. Um, we're up to the challenge here, and we think we need a multimodal solution. So you and the governor just recently talked about uh, this idea to widen I-95 to, as you said, eliminate uh, some of the congestion in that corridor. Um, it can impact our economy in a positive way. But is that a short-term fix? Will another lane just add to the congestion a few years from now? So um, we've done the analysis, and what was, uh, what was really um, impressive from that analysis is that we identified ways to remove uh, bottlenecks through selective widening in right-of-way that we own. Now, that's a new finding. Uh, most people have said for years, oh, this, you know, this idea of widening is crazy. It can't be done. It's not going to work. Well, we found out that we can. So um, six, six miles or nine miles of widening um, in right-of-way we own could remove congestion. Further, um, and separate, we didn't do these combined yet, but uh, when we looked at the congestion pricing pilot study for I-95 in southwest Connecticut, um, it too um, allows significant reductions in congestion. So you could widen the road, you could toll it with congestion pricing, and frankly not have congestion for many years. We've modeled it out through 2040, just the widening. If you add congestion pricing, it will extend that for many, many more years. So a combination strategy will work. Uh, we've heard from a listener that another way to get people off I-95 is to get them on trains, a remedy, improve parking at train stations, improve the frequency of trains. Absolutely right. Um, our comprehensive uh, strategy for the railroad includes uh, speeding up trains, adding uh, frequency, um, and um, uh, adding parking facilities at, at principal locations. Um, in fact, the, the plan that we put forward, the Let's Go CT strategy, um, included um, a, a comprehensive investment in the New Haven line um, to add uh, more frequent trains and to add faster trains 
and to improve parking conditions, uh, along with, frankly, improvements to Shoreline East, the Hartford Line, um, and continuing that, and uh, branch line improvements. So we have a significant railroad strategy ahead of us. Uh, you can join the conversation, 860-275-7266. Eric is calling from Northfield. Eric, go ahead with your question. Yes, my question is somewhat related to what was just mentioned in terms of the rail. Uh, I would like to see and have your comments on uh, improving and extending the Waterbury to Bridgeport rail line, which is at, is minimal, to say the least. Uh, there's track, I think, still as far up as Thomason. It probably could still go back up to Torrington and beyond. Uh, it directly parallels Route 8. Uh, it seems to me that you could either divert some of the tolling if you had put on tolls on Route 8 towards uh, uh, expanding and improving that service, both in quantity of trains and the distance that the rail uh, goes. Yes, that's a great, com- yeah, great comment. Thank you for observing that. Um, so the Waterbury branch is um, essential to our rail strategy. Um, it is, um, maybe folks don't know, but it is a railroad that has no railroad signal system on it. It's what we call dark territory, which means you're only allowed to run a train from one end to the other before you can run one in the other direction, unless there's a, a passing sighting. But it's, it's, it's really quite the dark ages, <laughs> and literally um, dark territory, dark ages. Um, and so the first investment is to invest in a signal system um, and also put in positive train control to make that um, uh, a modern railroad with the most advanced uh, safety features. And that is a project that is underway. We're anticipating completion of the signal system and positive train control safety systems by 2020. Um, that plus an investment that we would like to make um, in new rail cars. Um, so uh, I say like to because that is one of the projects, one of the first projects that has been suspended because of the budget problem. But it's one of the first priorities of funding if it comes back. Um, so we need more coaches. We need new ones. The Waterbury branch has very, very old rail cars. Um, our next priority would be replacing them and adding to the fleet to do just what you want, a lot more service, uh, a lot better service in that corridor. And it really is an economic opportunity again for the region if we could do that. Let's talk before we head to break a little bit more about what's at stake. If the legislature doesn't come up with um, some type of revenue stream to help the special transportation fund, you've been doing public hearings around the state where you're talking about rate hikes on on bus lines, also on rail. Shoreline East could see reduced services, ending weekend service on Danbury-Waterbury lines. Uh, We haven't even mentioned that um, there is state money that goes to municipalities to help pay for roads that they're still waiting for that second chunk mm-hmm. because the budget uh, was passed so late in the game. Uh, I mean, what likely will happen this session or is it going to be kicked down the road for next year for you to figure out? Well, I wish I could tell you what's going to happen this session and I wish I could say they're going to fix the transportation fund. Um, but what I can say is exactly what you said. There are um, horrific consequences of not fixing it. Um, and so the first, the first real hit is on um, transit riders, bus and rail who have frankly borne the brunt of budget problems um, for decades. In fact, if you go back 20 years, um, the gas tax has not been increased for 20 years, and bus fares have gone up 75%, rail fares have gone up 60%. Um, If these increases go through, bus fares will have gone up 99%, and rail fares 85%, and the gas tax, none. Um, Expenditures for transportation are at the lowest of of many states. Uh, I'll say this. 
the average household in Connecticut spends only $15 a month for transportation. That's all that goes into the transportation fund. Probably about 150 on a cell phone, 150 on internet, 150 on utilities. Um, and the average rail fare is $362. So there's, a, there's an imbalance here. It's upside down. So those need to be av- av- avoided. But the funding, the first, one of the first cuts on the capital side, dollars from the tra- transportation fund, um, was really reduced for municipalities. Um, because the DOT had to really constrain its focus on its core mission on roads and transit systems we own and operate. And so uh, Town Aid Road, $30 million, um, is slated traditionally to go to towns in the spring. That's not going to happen without new funds. There's a local bridge program, not going to happen without more funds. And finally, a local transportation improvement program, about $74 million, uh, distributed to towns as grants, will not happen. These are all critical projects, and you know what happens. If that is not funded through transportation resources, the obligation doesn't go away. Local property taxes will be the solution, and I don't think that that's what any town wants. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Got a question for Connecticut's Transportation Commissioner, James Redeker. Now is your chance to ask him, 860-275-7266. After the break, we'll take more of your calls, and we got to talk about that New Haven to Springfield line opening soon. This is where we live. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking transportation with James Redeker, Commissioner of the State Department of Transportation. I mentioned this New Haven to Springfield line. Uh, tell us about uh, when that's going to be ready for residents to ride. Sure. It should be open in May. Um, we're preparing now. The construction is done. We're getting equipment prepared. We're getting uh, uh, marketing information is going to be coming out. So we'll, we'll get uh, 17 trains a day from Hartford to New Haven, 12 uh, from Springfield, and we're looking for a great opening. And how much is it going to cost to ride this train? Well, that depends on what happens with the fare increases. <laughs> um, so we actually have uh, rates that are very, uh, very competitive, uh, s- frankly, similar to Shoreline East rates. So um, everyone in the state would pay uh, co- you know, common fares per mile. Um, but they may have to go up if these fare increases go in. But that would happen after we open. So we'd open in May and have to increase fares on July 1st. We hope we don't have to do that. Hannah is calling from New Britain. Hannah, go ahead with your question. Hi. So a couple months ago, you had um, a guest on who said that widening 95 would actually not decrease traffic. So I'm wondering if it would be worth the cost and also worth the traffic that it would create to do this project. Sure. Well, we did talk about that, but here's the here's the answer. We have uh, modeling uh, from traffic and from engineering that shows selective widening is affordable in terms of the net economic benefit. It reduces congestion and will uh, actually make 95 um, a, a pleasure to drive instead of being uh, stuck in traffic for hours. Uh, Steve's calling from South Windsor. Steve, go ahead with your question. Yes, hi. Um, my question is, what, is there a long-term goal with all of these highway improvements and projects slated for the future to maybe slowly phase out some of these left-handed exits that are, you know, they just contribute to unintelligent traffic that's sometimes unnecessary? I like the way you frame that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Actually, we have a couple of projects to to address uh, some of the bottlenecks that are due to um, really poor uh, design in terms of exit ramps. Um, Actually, one, which is uh, actually creating a left-hand exit, believe it or not, would be the Charter Road Bridge um, here in Hartford, which is a massive backup, one of the worst um, places in, 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 frankly, in the nation. 
the, the sad part is that that's a project that won't be funded if we don't fix the transportation fund. Um, but yes, there are a, a lot of projects in design to fix weaving movements that don't make sense and to uh, you know make this make the highway safer. We haven't had a chance yet to talk about President Trump's infrastructure plan and what's your take. Uh, we're focusing so much on uh, trying to uh, to figure out how the state's going to pay for transportation projects. Uh, but meanwhile, uh, the, the president has rolled out this $1.5 trillion initiative. It would really put only about $200 billion of federal money into the mix for all of these states to compete for. Mm-hmm. Uh, how would Connecticut fare in terms of, well, again, we have major budget issues uh, how will this impact us? So the infrastructure plan um, has really more of a uh, grant feature to it. It's not cash. That's a problem. Every state, um, frankly, is saying um, formula funds for transportation have always worked. That's what we need. It also says that those grants will be distributed on a 20% federal, 80% state, um, which is a complete reversal of what policy has been for for decades. It's now 80% federal formula funds, 20% state. Um, and it further says that um, if, if you match it more than 80%, you'll be better in terms of getting federal dollars. Well, somehow that doesn't add up to me. Um, Connecticut needs investment. And it's very scary that in 2020, the current formula funding authorization for transportation for highways and for transit expires. And I'm not hearing how that's going to get replaced. And there's also a rescission of federal funding that will affect Connecticut's total federal dollars by reducing them in 2020, all on top of what we're seeing is the crisis with state funding. So um, frankly, I've ignored a lot of that proposal because I'm so worried about the state's fund. Um, and frankly, there's time, I hope, to uh, to make that a better proposal. There are a couple of good things in it. Um, um, uh, authorizing tolls, however we want to do them, it's potentially in that authorization language, and also um, maybe privatizing rest areas so we could improve those. So two positives, but a massive negative, and I'm worried about that. Also, some uh, lawmakers on Capitol Hill pushing for hike in the federal gasoline tax. Mm-hmm. That's something you'd support? Yeah, sir. Yeah, yes. The federal, because it's, the rescission is based on the fact that there's not enough income into the Highway Transportation Fund nationally. Um, the gas tax, again, hasn't been raised there, and so there, there are proposals. Um, this is, frankly, the first time in a long time that we've heard that being proposed as opposed to running away from the gas tax. Oh, Rick's calling from South Windsor. Rick, go ahead. Hi. Um, so uh, I commute every day from South Windsor down to the shoreline for work, and I know there's going to be a massive uh, you know, restructuring of the 8491 interchange. Um, but then I also heard that there's also going to be a massive change in the Route 9 uh, interchange not too long after. So I'm wondering, is there going to be an overlap, and how's the state going to deal with that, that traffic problem? So uh, thanks for that. The first, uh, Actually, the first initiative that we'd like to do is Route 9. Um, we have a plan to eliminate the traffic lights, which will eliminate congestion there. It's terrific, and it's ready to go, except... There's no money in the transportation fund, so it's on hold. And we do have uh, future plans for uh, the I-84 viaduct, and we're looking at the I-84, I-91 interchange uh, also into the future, but that's after the Route 9, so that should not be a conflict. And uh, we do have a listener comment before the show who wants to find out, just a couple minutes left, uh, Commissioner, uh, why won't the DOT show leadership and open the pedestrian bike lane on the Putnam Bridge? I believe that's the bridge between Weathersfield and Glastonbury. 
Right. So we actually, I thought, uh, invested ahead of time uh, by putting the, uh, the pedestrian treatment on that facility. It just doesn't connect to anything. So you can't get to or from it. You could only, I don't know how you get to the bridge. There's nothing to it. There's nothing after it. Those are plans in development that uh, someday would make that connection possible. Also, one more uh, tweet from a listener who says North Dakota uses its publicly owned bank to fund infrastructure at no cost to taxpayers, uh, says public bank bills submitted to other states. Do you have any? any well, I'm not familiar with that, that, but I can't imagine any bank that you took a loan from you wouldn't have to pay back. So an infrastructure bank has been talked about, but it is just another way to borrow money. Um, somehow you have to pay it back. That means cash in the fund. Also, Liam writes, if Metro North were more reliable, more folks would take it instead of I-95 in Merritt parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> Great comment. Um, actually, uh, Metro North has done a terrific job working with us as our contractor. We're um, experiencing uh, mid-90s in terms of on-time performance. Um, and frankly, ridership is growing. It's terrific. Um, and um, it's because of the parking lots on 95 in, in, in large measure. And again, we um, are almost out of time. And here's a big one for you, uh, Commissioner Redeker. Wants to, uh, someone wants to know your comments about autonomous cars. They'll be a huge part of transit in coming decade. Yeah, they could be. Um, so I think um, autonomous vehicles actually have one major benefit and a significant one, and that is safety. Um, in terms of what it might do, um, it could actually cause congestion. It could do other things. But um, I'm a fan from the perspective of um, human error and safety. Uh, if we can eliminate that and create safer highways, it would be terrific. I want to thank James Redeker again, the state commissioner for the Department of Transportation. Uh, a lot to talk about, so little sure. time. We do thank you for your time today. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Uh, today's show produced by Lydia Brown. A special thanks to Katie Tolarski, Carlos Mejia, and also our technical producer, Kion Wolf. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As always, thanks for listening.